Today is Wednesday, uh, October the 22nd, 2009. 21st. 21st. Even better. Kind <laughs> yeah. of There was a title to be put on this. It was going to be Pressure Washed. And uh, kind of break those two apart. Pressure from Jesus equals washing of your soul and spirit and your walk. Uh, but actually, it acted as a, a segue into something else. And... Uh, there, that's the new title is Nothing But Joy. Now, usually, whenever you see somebody out in public, I say Panera Bread, because that's the most holy place to go to get soup and coffee. Well, not so much coffee, maybe the soup. But uh, you look at somebody that's sitting down in the restaurant, and you see some most people with what kind of faces? Browns. Yeah. It's, it's a downcast face or a very concerned face. There's a lot of salesmen in there like myself. It's a great place to uh, work. And uh, so, yeah, we get a lot done. Uh, so, you know, people got a lot of things in their minds. But someone with a huge smile would stand out, wouldn't they? Yes. yes. Absolutely. In fact, you would even say that their face uh, shines, right? It's radiant with something. All right, let's all turn to uh, Matthew 13. There, there. There, wow. There. Moving. And I'm there. I even have my little indicator. Forgot to use it. Anyway. <laughs> uh, as I was thinking about this pressure washing, I started getting a different kind of scriptures about testing. And what does it mean to be tested and pressure applied to you? And what are the after effects? Well, I stumbled upon this one in Matthew 13 about the four kind of sowers. Now, it says the parable of the sower, but actually the sower is constant throughout the entire parable. It's the soils that are actually different and change. So, let's start in verse uh, 3 and go down to verse 9. Then he told them many things in, a, in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow a seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the, when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Just a little insight. That's a great one to underline. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still... Other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, what's ironic about the very last statement is that right prior to this, right after it, and then further down, he quotes this Isaiah 6 principle of those seeing they don't perceive, those hearing they don't understand. And that's one reason why he was speaking to them in parables. You ever try to be, your parents were ever cryptic in front of you? as a child. And cryptic meaning they're talking about going to get ice cream somewhere. So either they spell it or they do sign language or something. They're basically trying to communicate a principle without giving away the end result. Whenever you can't hear from God a lot of times and you see feel like he's being a little bit cryptic, wait a little bit. It'll get there. He'll give you ears to hear so you can understand and eyes to see so you can perceive. Uh, 
He spoke in parables to the masses, mainly to the Pharisees, but he spoke directly to his disciples. When he speaks directly to you, it means that you belong to him. You have the ears that he's looking for. That's good. Now, anybody, in the, or please raise your hand if you ever try to grow something, like grow a garden. Okay? If you were successful, keep your hands up. Okay, that dropped to about half. <laughs> Those of you who have had parents that endured the, uh, the Great Depression, either as children or uh, maybe some of you yourselves, uh, there's a unique principle. <laughs> maybe not. That, well, that's, that's the tape audience yeah. online. Yeah, that's the web. Um, <laughs> but there's a unique characteristic that I love about that generation. One is they like spanking. Uh, two is they're very good... Very good farmers, and that you had to be. Imagine we're talking about the economic crisis, and you know, it's as bad as the, the Great Depression. I doubt it, I absolutely doubt it, because the majority of us are not farming in our own backyards, we're not swapping eggs for flour and bartering between you know, uh, yarn and, and, uh, and food. So, these people grew up putting money in their mattresses and growing things in their backyard. And to me, that's, that's something that I would love to get back to as far as just having that in my life, period. Number one, I, I don't know what it is about working with the earth, but it's really caring for something on a daily basis. Uh, here recently, about a year ago, we planted a fig tree in the backyard. And I don't know why, I just every day I wake up, I look out my back window next to my trampoline, I say, how's my, how's my fig tree doing? Now, I'm not dependent on this thing for food. There's just a natural attachment to being what God called us to be. Subdue the earth. Rule it. And it's not just animals. It's plants as well. So, let's go to the, the first uh, soil that we're talking about here. Because uh, Imagine we're all gardening, right? And whenever you plant something, those of you who have gardened before, as soon as you put the seed on the ground... It does absolutely fine. It goes in the soil and it springs up, bears fruit with no problems, right? Wrong. Absolutely wrong. The first thing we come to are things that try to steal from it. Now, let's go back to the fig tree. Those of you who are familiar with fig trees, really most fruit trees and berries, birds love them. They absolutely love them. Uh, Cass's grandfather at one point <laughs> put a, a fine mesh net around this whole fig tree. <laughs> Because he was trying to preserve all the figs that were on it. And I don't know if you guys have ever had fig preserve, but it is absolute gold in a jar and to put on bread or biscuits. It's, it's wonderful. For those of you who are you know, heaving and hoeing, you're, not, you're just missing out. Absolutely. But it's something that's precious. It's, it's well sought after. But whenever you plant these seeds, or in this case, the the fruit begins to come off this tree. Birds of the air are huge pestilence, besides bugs themselves. So you always have to fight with that. Now let's get down to the next soil. That one we have shallow roots. This is another one that's very dear to my heart, more or less to my wife's. Uh, we spent uh, a little bit of money last year investing in some landscaping in front of our house. And yay, we're going to get 70% off at Houston Garden Center. Got some really good deals. Four or five azaleas, these dwarf azaleas, beautiful. They'll bloom pink and white. We have them staggered out. 
had these great plans for what we sown in the ground. They took root. We had to water it a day after day after day. It was struggling, but it took root. And once it did, it sprang up. One thing we began to notice is that if it didn't rain for a week, not only did it wilt, it started to turn brown really bad. Well, as you guys all know, the past drought that we had, they are absolutely annihilated. <laughs> they're dead. The only thing they're useful for, see if this triggers anything in your mind, is burning up. They could not be revived. So we paid somebody to dig them up and put them by the side of the street. I'll use my Christmas tree to burn up. That's usually pretty good fodder. Next one is a rocky soil. And I would venture to say, probably around here, we're not really familiar with that. Not so much. Uh, I haven't been to Israel, but from what I hear, there's rocks everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. I, I have been to Marble Falls. Beautiful mesquite trees everywhere. It's the uh, it's next thing best to heaven. Uh, but you can just see the terrain. It, something just has to really be rough and rugged in its root system to survive. Kind of like an olive tree. Yeah. But something that's not designed for that soil, that needs something that's uh, a good soil, that's well fertilized and well watered and everything, it would have a hard time. So it'll get a root system, it'll begin to grow up, and begin to produce leaves. We'll find out something a little bit later on. Now, good soil. Uh, we're on tape, but still, I'd like some input from you guys who've gotten your hands dirty. Tell me what makes good soil? Fertilizer. Everybody knows what that is. What else is, makes, makes good soil? Tilling it, turning it over, turning it, breaking it down. Now, another thing is a proper mixture of sand, topsoil, and clay. Uh, never, I'll always never forget this. Jennifer said that her grandmother always used to brag <coughs> on the red Alabama clay and how it was just perfect for anything to grow in. That's because it had that perfect mixture of sand, uh, clay, and topsoil where the roots could go down deep enough to get nourishment, but by going deep, it also supported the infrastructure of the plant itself. The first time I read this, um, I got to the end of that verse 9, I said, man, I need to pray and see what all this means. I know this is just good stuff. <laughs> What's always the key whenever you don't understand? Keep reading. Keep reading. So let's keep reading. <laughs> Uh, skip over to verse 13, I mean 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. That was an absolute cue beam whenever I got to that point. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. This is probably, I wouldn't say the majority in the sense of like 98%, but it's, a, it's definitely above 50%. Most people hear the word. In fact, at certain times of my life, I was that person. I heard the word, and I allowed pride, I allowed self-preservation. Basically, the evil one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Take that word away from my heart 
it making an impact in my life. Verse 20. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. Let me stop right there. If I plant the seed and it receives the soil with joy, how do I know that? What's a visible evidence? Something grows and comes out of the ground, right? We've all you know, been through physical science in ninth grade, or as in Texas they do that in second grade. But uh, whenever the, it begins to attach itself to the soil and bear root, you see something spring up out of the earth. So I'm relating this back to a person, right? I see the word go in somebody, and I see change. I see absolute good change. They grasp it immediately with joy. But, let's keep reading. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word. Now you could be persecuted for something other than the word, right? <laughs> you see that on the news all day long. But for the sake of being a Christian, for the sake of being unique, identified with Jesus, set apart. For his use. Does anybody know the, the, the common term we use for that? Set apart for his use? Sanctify. I want to dive off on that a little bit. That's a good rabbit trail. I go into my washer and uh, it's already gone through the cycle. I take out the spoons and forks and I put them in the cabinet. Cass comes back a couple hours getting ready to fix dinner for the girls. and She pulls out a fork and you can tell when something wasn't properly rinsed before it went in the washer. Because not only is it like a green onion or, you know, some gras dew, for those of you, I, I don't know what else to say, junk on the spoon, it's not only there, but it's like dried. It was baked on. Well, what's your first reaction? Ugh. You're going to throw it back in the sink, it's going to be rewashed, right? So what you're doing when you're cleaning these dishes you're washing them so you can set them apart for your use. Well, let's say we're all in the dishwasher here. In fact, that's what we'll call our church. Life changing dishwashers. Changing one diaper at a time. Changing one diaper. <laughs> there and here. Okay. No, but whenever we're used by Jesus, so I'll use myself as a primary example. We go to Matamoros, right? Uh, here recently. Awesome. Awesome miracles happen between the preservation of tires, money for gas, getting across borders with, with uh, the NSA might pick this up, but getting across without a passport and all that kind of stuff. We, there's awesome things happen. What do you think happened when I came back home? I was a little bit dirty. I was a little bit beat up from being used. Now, when I'm using that fork or that spoon, I'm enjoying my meal, but it's being used. It has to go through another washing process. Now, sometimes I use a spoon for a meal. Sometimes my girls use a spoon to make mud pies. Mm -hmm. Different uses. Every one of you in here are unique. You'll have some similarities. God wants to use you. The goal, or the process more or less, 
is are you allowing him or allowing him to sanctify you, to put you through that dishwashing process, to make really you into good soil so that you're fit for his use. Now, if I were a, a gardener, a true farmer, and I had this soil that was hard and, and shallow, I would do what Cass said. I'd go rent a tiller from Home Depot and till it up. Do you know, I talked to a guy one time, uh, he, he didn't have much knowledge of the word, but he, we're talking about gardening. He said, yeah, he said, uh, me and my dad garden all of our life. He said, yeah, the dirt's only as good as about uh, seven years. If you use it for seven years, you have to turn it over. I said, really? He said, that's very interesting. This has come from somebody who has just grown up gardening. You know, his grandfather, his father, and his father gardened all their lives. And something handed down to them. They had absolutely no idea that God commanded Israel to let the land rest for a seventh year. Now, was God doing that just to be mean? No. He was accomplishing two things. First of all, he set up his character, who he was, in the creation. And that's just in dirt. That's not anything else. And then told the people that he called out, that he sanctified for his use, to obey this command. He did not give them scientific proof. He did not give them years and years of journals and, and studies saying, this is why you need to believe me. He just said, this is what you'll do. The things that God has put in your life, the soils that he's trying to plant you into, or soil he's trying to make you into, are for today and this time. And all it requires is that you trust him. Trust what he's doing. And I, I'm really, I, I need a mirror right in front of me because I'm preaching to myself. We come back from Matamoros. Awesome, mighty things happen. I get back home and I'm worrying about the smallest little things. The smallest little foxes are spoiling my vines. So the little bitty insects. You know, I just got through killing a bear, and now I'm worried about a ladybug. So you see the, the dynamics that us humans go through? Now, one key term that uh, a guy commented on this uh, shallow soil said, spring up with joy. Call him an emotional hearer. I love it. I don't, I don't know why, I just, I love it. It's an emotional hearer. Immediately, I begin to think of two or three people in the Word. One is Peter. No, Lord, I'll, I'll never deny you. He was offended at the thought. And Jesus <laughs> said, like, oh, yeah, you'll do it three times, big guy. <laughs> you know, he sees him on the water. And at night, Jesus standing on the water. Yes, Lord. Jumps out of the boat, starts running to him. Gets halfway there, realizes the perils that surround him, and begins to sink. He's an emotional hearer. Some people aren't that way. But when you begin to see the shallow soil and they respond as a reflex to get away from harm and go to God, proceed with caution. Whenever you're witnessing to them, whenever you're, you're dealing with them, I'm excited too. In fact, it, I have to be careful I don't become jaded. That when I see somebody born again, yes, angels are rejoicing in heaven right this minute. You're beginning to receive the salvation of your souls. But when is our salvation complete? When we finish the race. When I finish the race. So in and of that moment, when I see that person born again, they're an emotional hearer, they're responding with joy. 
that's absolutely fine in and of itself. What should happen is that they recognize that they're shallow and allow their ground to be broken up and tilled over. Allow some fertilizer to come on into their life. The next one is rockies, or rocky soil. Now, in a way that does make it shallow, but this kind of corresponds this to our corazón, our heart, areas of your life. You have to allow Jesus into every area of your life. If any part is left untended to, it begins to get that hard nature. Now, granted, if you know, you guys have seen like a dump truck, right? That holds about, I'd say, eight cubic yards of concrete. That's it's, it's huge. Doesn't seem like much what's on the ground. It's huge. But imagine after you know this whole floor right here is this thick with dirt, and I have a couple stones over here, a couple stones over there. Percentage-wise, it's really not that big. But if I could take one small seed and I try to plant it in that one spot, because I, the farmer, need something to grow right there. That soil in that place is not fit for me. So what do I have to do? I have to tell it. I have to break it up. God's going to find the places in your life that are hard, that are untouched, that are not useful. And he's going to break them up. Amen. Let them. Absolutely let them. Um, let's turn to Ezekiel 33. Another one I'm about to read, if it's not highlighted, please do. It is absolutely wonderful. As for you, son of man, your countrymen are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of, their, of the houses, saying to each other, Come and hear the message that has come from the Lord. That sounds great. It's a good start. My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to listen to your words. If we were to put that in today's terms, where would they be? Church. In church. But they do not put them into practice. With their mouths, they express devotion, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. With their mouths, they express devotion. That sounds to me like an emotional hearer. Shout amen all day long. Worship with the best. But when, they, when they're in or when they're out, they put none of the word to practice. So, is Jesus, does Jesus care solely about your church attendance? No. Does Jesus solely care about your ability to worship? No. He cares about your ability to put his word into practice. And it's, I say it's simple. Uh, it's simple on the foundational element that's being obedient to Him in every circumstance. And usually where it's hardest is when it goes against the grain of what you think is right. What you want. Because you begin to hit that rocky part of your soil. <coughs> you hit that shallow place that needs to be dug up. That's rock on. 
Um, Psalms 119.11. Somebody turn there. Read it to me. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. As we take that verse, and we relate it to a, a farmer planting seeds. Some seeds, um, but most, most, say this, most seeds have to be put into the ground in order to take root and bear fruit, right? That's exactly what this verse is talking about. It does me no good to put this just in my mind. Is it really with your mind alone that you're able to combat the emotions that rise up inside of you? No, it has to be in my heart. My love and my passion for the Word has to be what drives out, what competes with God's Word in my heart, my emotions. Normally, I got four girls at home, and I see lots of emotion. <laughs> so we begin to learn how to deal with it. But the guys are just as emotional. It's just different areas. It's different fronts. Uh, you slap a girl in the face, she'll probably cry. She may scratch you or kick you in the shed. But she'll probably cry and run off and feel weak and defeated. A guy, not so much. If he does what she did. So, well, anyway, normally he'll probably just hit you. So both are emotional reaction, but they have to both come back to the central part of hiding the word in your heart. Letting that seed of God's word be the root of your actions. And that both of them will respond in love. Uh, next one, James 1, 2. But don't read it just yet. Actually, verse 2 through 4. So, if I focus on the soils that's uh, rocky, actually, y'all, stay in James. This really stood out to me. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Now the plant, right before it had a shallow soil, it dried up, it died. It was good for nothing but being burned. This is a little bit different though. It's not that it, it dried up and died and ceased to exist as a Christian. All they produced were leaves. All they produced was something flowery and showy, but had no substance. Nothing the master could use, nothing he could eat. Jews were commanded three times a year to bring their tithe uh, to Jerusalem. Now, they would collectively store it in their, their towns and tribes uh, as the harvest came in. But three times they were to make this journey going back to Jerusalem. Does it do me any good as a farmer? Number one, if, my, if the plants I'm planting do not bear fruit? Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not a, a caterpillar. I don't eat leaves. I need the substance that comes. That's why I planted that seed. If I wanted leaves, I would have planted something totally different. So as a farmer, as a manager of what I have, what do you think I should do with that? I would cut it down, use it, but use it for something totally different, wasn't used for. 
till the soil, break it up, take out the rocks, make it good, and replant with something new. I want to make sure that my life, I am constantly evaluating what soil, the air, all areas of my life are. They're useful to my kingdom. You guys see, you know, we worship together. Now, it's, I love this. I, I feel like collectively, you guys are one person. And it's just me and you sitting in a room and we're worshiping. And what we do up here is it's awesome. It's, it's fruitful. It's wonderful. But in and of my own life, if I let this be just a show of worship, and for just for y'all's benefit alone, his power may still move. His anointing still may flow. But whenever my life is judged in front of the king, no fruit. But Lord, Lord, didn't I do worship? Lord, didn't I preach? Didn't I do this? Didn't I go to Matamoros? Uh, you never knew me. You never bore fruit. I always want to make sure that my life is the kind of life that is fit, set apart, useful for my king. The good soil, it's born that way, right? <laughs> you ever met somebody in church? Uh, particularly when you first came to Jesus and they were just an absolute veteran. It's like looking at a superstar in the kingdom. And you just like, oh, I could never be like that person. Because naturally, they were born into a Christian household, right? And they got everything that they needed, and they just were given a unique gift by God to be that kind of Christian. No way. Once again, good soil becomes good soil, because probably at one point before it was bad soil. It was unfit for use. It had been through much breaking, much fertilizer, much tilling, much water. So, the trials that you're enduring now, let's read about in James 1, verse 2 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Not lacking anything. Do you need leaves? Yes, well, well, what are leaves used for? Photosynthesis, right? They convert uh, sucrose, I think, in, into energy. Into something useful for the plant, but for a purpose for the plant. So they can produce fruit. Consider it pure joy. Nothing but joy. Now I'm going to take a hard left and then go down Highway 59. When I begin to look up pure joy, there's a certain term that they use about uh, meaning so that your joy may be complete. Deuteronomy 16, 15, if you want to write something next to that, that verse. It says, three times a year you're to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. And particularly with Sukkot, meaning the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, whenever you perform this feast, uh, you're to celebrate it with joy. And I've given you these mitzvahs, I've given you these laws, so that your joy may be complete. There's a, there's a lot of different renderings in that. So when I went to the, the Hebrew uh, uh, text or Hebrew word for that, it wasn't pure joy. It was more uh, these two words being joined together. And I'm sorry, I'm not smart enough in English to have something related to. I just know these two words had to be together to say pure joy. 
Well, if you guys remember from a couple Wednesday nights ago, we talked about olive trees, right? And these olives, when they were pressed, began to have this first stage is pure oil. And the purest of purest olive oil was used for consumption, food consumption, and light. And the point that they're trying to drive to in Deuteronomy 16 15, but also more so, this is where James gets this from. Consider it your joy complete because of these trials. Consider yourself basically as olives being pressed. And in these trials you're being pressed so that something pure can come out that's useful to bring light and to give a nourishment. The same exact thing those olives were used for. Now, uh, the festivals, can I do a little quiz here? What's the, the Hebrew word for the festivals in Israel? Mikras. Mikras. Always that helped me because when I think of rehearsal, so mikra, they kind of tie together. So these rehearsals, they did time after time after time again. And not just these three or these three feasts they had to go to Jerusalem, but there were seven feasts all year long. But actually, when you begin to break it down, they saw a cycle of God that happened every morning and evening. Then they saw a cycle that happened once a week. It was their Sabbath. They observed Sabbath. Right? Then they observed uh, the, uh, the seventh Sabbath. And then the, the 49th Sabbath, sabbatical year was the 50th or the year of Jubilee. So there's this constant reminding, rehearsal, rehearsal, rehearsal of what God was going to do in them, but also in the entire age of the universe. So it was ingrained in them. But well, when I saw this scripture in James, these trials, what exactly is a trial? It's a rehearsal. It's a mikra. No, I don't, you know, we're not Jewish, so we don't necessarily celebrate the seven feasts. But what I joined, what I was baptized into, associated to with Jesus, was the blessing of rehearsing these trials of being pressed, just like Jesus was. No servant is greater than his master. If Jesus had to suffer, guess what? You get the blessing of doing so as well. What was the fruit when he suffered according to God's will? It was life. It was absolute life. It was light and it was substance. Substance. It was food. And that's what we eat of every single day by living and walking in Jesus. So when I see these trials, I have to remind myself the sighting is riding on the side of my house. Pure joy. <laughs> my car just broke down. It just so happened to pick Jan or July 16th to do it. 104 degrees outside. Pure joy. I fill my radiator with 32 gallons of water coming back from Mexico. Pure joy. And so it's contrary. It seems absolutely ridiculous. To, to laugh and smile while something bad is happening to you. But joy is a direct indicator of hope. Hope. If everybody begins to get laid off, and I'm the only guy standing in the crowd with a smile, I'm, I might get punched. <laughs> probably because, number one, they just don't like to see other people have joy when they don't. But probably say, well, this guy's got an inside scoop. He's got an inside deal. He ain't losing his job. 
whenever you're able to withstand trials and being pressed, you become a light to the world. And you show it first and foremost, not by coming to church. You show it by having a smile on your face and the true joy of the Lord. So that your joy may be complete. One last one. Luke 12, 29. As you can see, i got my stones here. And this is one of my stones. I've been throwing my stones at giants. That's why they're kind of messed up. <laughs> this one I threw in the dryer. <laughs> Brother Steve, if you could read that, 29 through 31. In the Jewish Bible? Uh, We're all reading from the Jewish Bible there. Right? Yeah, okay. go ahead. 12, 29. In other words, don't strive after what you will eat and what you will drink. Don't be anxious. Keep going? Yes, yeah, through 31. For all... The pagan nations in the world set their hearts on these things. Your father knows that you need them too. Rather, seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Stop right there. Eat or drink. Is that necessary for life? Yes. Yeah. And what does he say? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. My Lord, that is simple. That is absolutely simple. Whenever my pantry is full, my refrigerator is full, my bank account is full, it, there's no doubt it's easier to relax. It's easier to not have stress. But even if it's not, what does the word say? Don't worry about it. If Jesus, if Jesus was a, a Jew in New York, he'd say forget about it. Right? For the pagan world runs after such things. Do you know what it's like? I'm sure you guys do. <clears throat> when you're driving down the road, you just got a notification that your bank account is overdrawn, and you pass by Home Depot, the parking lot's full. You pass by this store, the parking lot's full, and people walking out with big screen TVs out of fries. It seems that everybody else's life has got it together but yours doesn't. And what begins to happen? The weight of the world sits on the face. I begin to lose my joy. But it, I say, okay, walk around with a frown. Honestly, that's, that's a very, very dumbed down version of that. What really happens? You fight with people at your work. You carry a bad, around a bad attitude. You kick your dog. You, you throw them across the room. <laughs> You yell at your kids. You begin to exude this nastiness. And why? Why? Did really, is 35 or 70 bucks negative in your account really making you act carnal? When you stand before Jesus, you can go, hey, that's why I didn't act right. <laughs> He's going to say, that's okay? Right. No. So what's to your credit? What was Abraham's method of being credited? Faith. Trust. And it showed up in his actions. Granted, my Bible doesn't have a pictorial diagram of what Abraham looked like. It does with Paul. But, no, I'm just <laughs> Somebody told me that one time. My Bible has a picture of Paul in it. I was like, really? <laughs> no. So, Abraham was credited righteousness because of his ability to trust. And it showed up in his actions. It showed up. In, if you had 
or when we see the the tapes <laughs> rolled back when we uh, are in the millennial reign, I, I say that so so hesitantly because we say tape, I say tapes because that was my era. But now you know when God plays back the DVR. <laughs> we see Abraham's face. What would you expect to see in that time period? Of month after month after month of Sarah not getting pregnant. Decade after decade. Years going by. What would you expect to see on his face? I would, honestly, I would expect to see frustration. I would expect to see a little bit of downcast, but keep the tape rolling. Because probably immediately after, he got better and he got a smile on his face. He was human. He wasn't superhuman. So that's why I say a little bit of frustration and anxiety. But you saw that he finished it well. In fact, he did have a sort of a, a down low spot with Abimelech, saying that Sarah was his sister. Right? But God took care of that. So let me read this again. Uh, and do not set, on, set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Where the devil usually attacks you the most with these cares and worries of the world, this deceitfulness or riches, is, but I need this to live. This is essential. Let's keep reading. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. See, the one thing that a lack of joy does is that it forgets that the father <coughs> knows that you need them. How many times? The whole testimony about Matamoros was we did not have what we need, but we stepped forward in faith anyway, and God was working weeks in advance to give it to us. Weeks. The, the, before we ever decided to go to Matamoros, he was already in preparation to provide on a specific day. He wasn't a step ahead of me. He was a mile ahead. So why? Why do I need to worry? And I, I mean, the reason that I hit this topic and, and wanted to share with this is not because y'all are failing. It's this is what I am struggling with. This is from Sunday on, I'm walking around feeling like there's a concrete thousand pound brick on my chest and I cannot shake it. I don't know what to do. So I'm pulling out my stones and reading, and do not set your heart on what you to drink. That's not working. Do not worry about it. I'm trying to force my way into the kingdom. It's not easy. Let's stand up and let's pray. Okay, well, we'll pray. Got scripture, man. Yeah, yeah. First one is 1 Corinthians 3.9. It's a short one. It'll be easy for you to memorize. You are God's field. You are God's building. <laughs> Whether you are hard path, rocky soil, being choked by weeds or good soil, <laughs> you're God's. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah. And there's hope that it can be changed. And if we're honest, a field's made up of all of those soils, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some area of your life has all of those. Uh, on Matt's good joy note, we had a friend named June Newman that sang a song. And it's funny how when something's put to a melody, you never forget it. I want you to hear the words because the prophet Habakkuk wrote it. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on my vines. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no fruit. Though there are no sheep, 
in the pen, and no cattle can I find. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful, full of joy in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. So it's the biggest testament of whether or not you trust God or not is found on your face on a daily basis. And you've heard that so much in this church that it would be a temptation to overlook it. I just want you to know your leadership is working with all of our heart to put that into practice in our lives. Uh, when the men's toilet will not work, yet I will rejoice. Uh, one Jewish note here before we, we close. The... Jewish rabbis taught that the response to a suffering is, Lord, bless you. Baruch atah Adonai. Bless you, O Lord. And I can tell you from personal experience, the last time that I was seriously healed, a piece of my finger flew off and hit a fence. I said, Baruch atah Adonai, and I got healed. An amazing thing happens when we demonstrate our trust in God. He brings healing. He brings the fruit that we need. He, he knows what you need. Uh, he can remove rocks. He can do all of those things. It's his job to show you how to work the soil. It's just your job to present your soil to it. It really is. So don't be discouraged. Amen? Amen. Come on now. Do I think you could bring somebody to church? Wouldn't that be a good thing? Yeah. You, uh, if you're receiving something here that's worthwhile, share it with somebody. And even if they don't come to church... Share it with somebody, right? We always end up doing more ministry in places where they cannot come to church. I think God tests our heart that way. Every time we go on vacation, we end up the entire time. Yeah. Uh, the goal is not to build a bigger church. The goal is to build His kingdom. But I tell you what, as you begin to recount the good things God's done in your life to other people, it's hard not to smile. You know. You go home and practice looking in the mirror and seeing if you can talk about the way he saved you with a giant frown. <laughs> you can't even think about it with a frown, can you? No. Pray for us, Matthew. Absolutely. Mighty King, Lord, we bless your name. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving us the, the divine nature and power to walk this thing out. That in my weakness, your strength is made perfect, Mighty King. And when I don't have the ability to walk it out, to put the smile on my face, you surround me with those that do, or you encourage me by your spirit with your word. We thank you for your word being living and active, and we welcome it into all areas of our life, Jesus. I pray you bless this group as they go out, Jesus. Let them be your light. Let them be your food. And let them radiate your glory and your joy. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.